This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout this beautiful world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast, and that sounds good to you. Make sure that you go over to iTunes and Spotify to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. And rate, review, subscribe, yada, yada, yada. And you won't miss a thing when our episodes drop every Monday morning. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, and at A to Z Sports on Twitter. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Where everything that Zach writes about our volunteers. Zach, I woke up this morning, Sunday morning. And you know, the sun was just shining a little brighter. It was it was beautiful, a little blanket of snow on the ground. It it, it had just snowed. It looked idyllic outside. The bird somehow the birds were chir- the birds just knew the birds were chirping. I had my tea in hand. Yeah, I'm a tea guy, not coffee guy. Whatever. And it just felt great because last night Tennessee. Went to Rupp Arena and handed it to the Wildcats, folks, on on the hardwood. Uh, Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, win off, giant win, uh, and a lot of fun, even though, let's be completely honest, Kentucky stinks out loud. That's a bad basketball team. They're not very good. But hey, uh, Tennessee went, beat them by 11 points. And, uh, you know, hey, Kentucky had you in the first half, but it's all about that final score. It's not about the, the score at halftime. So a lot of fun watching that last night. And just, oh, the air just feels fresher. Man, it feels good when you beat Kentucky in Rupp Arena. Zach, what's up? Yeah, it's always nice when you can win a game when it's five against eight. And I hate to sound that way, but that that was the exact scenario in the first half. I mean, it was ridiculous. The disparity at the free throw line it was I mean you're used to that at Rupp Arena you maybe thought with no fans it wouldn't come into play as much but it was definitely frustrating that first half I I didn't have much hope for the second half the referees were in full effect and I if nothing else that win and and we'll get into it because I want to get down a little deeper with Tennessee basketball now that we're sort of I don't want to say moving on from football. Football is still going to be uh, the main focus of of this episode still because Heupel is still in his first couple weeks as coach. But um, the, the, the basketball last night was particularly encouraging because the freshmen just came out of their shell in a way that we had not seen before. They overcame the ridiculousness with the refs. Fulkerson was nowhere to be found, and you beat Kentucky 
by double digits. I mean, literally, did Fulkerson end up with any points? I think he had zero, right? I mean, that's, yeah, I, I don't think he ended up he scoring two, at all. Like, two fouls in the first three minutes or so, and that kind of changed yep. his whole outlook of the game. Barely played at all, but Tennessee kept it close, and then the freshman just took him through a surge down the stretch. And and we'll talk about kind of the the assessment of that because I got I got some opinions on what Rick needs to do going forward. Uh, he might need to switch up his strategy a little bit. Don't uh, don't get caught up in wanting to do what Rick Barnes wants to do when you could just do what is best for the basketball team. But that's what we're going to talk about uh, closer to the end of the show. But we'll lead off with Josh Heupel, Tennessee's new football coach. Whether you like it or not, he's here, and he's going to get at least a little time. I don't know, a couple years, three, hopefully more, if he can uh, you know, keep it together. But Zach, the first two weeks have passed of Heupel's tenure with the Vols, and we haven't heard anything, really. Uh, just it, it's been some... Twitter graphics and a couple of kids on signing day. Um, but what are your thoughts so far on his first two weeks? After the way the last month and a half went, really since really since the beginning of December, since we really knew that Pruitt's job was in jeopardy and then the investigation came out and you knew it was in serious jeopardy then, it was nice to just catch your breath the last week or so. I mean, he's still got a, a staff to assemble but we know who the coach is going to be next year. Um, we know some of the players that won't be back. We've seen several players go to Oklahoma. Jameer Johnson uh, announced yesterday he's going to Texas A&M, which kind of that's two two key offensive linemen that, that Tennessee's losing to the portal, plus you've lost Trey Smith. So he's got a lot to deal with there. But, yeah, it's been relatively quiet. I've, I kind of thought he would have a staff in place by now. I don't think it's a bad thing that he doesn't just because the timing is kind of weird. It, it didn't really matter with signing day. As long as you have it in place a little bit before spring practice starts, uh, it, it it should be fine. He's got most of the offensive staff in place. Uh, I, he doesn't have a running backs coach yet. Uh, I'm really amazed, though, at the lack of leaks that we've heard about any of these hires. The only reason we know anything about his offensive staff is because the tight ends coach and offensive coordinator, Alex Golish is in Tennessee already in Knoxville. He's communicating with recruits. Same for the quarterbacks coach, Joey Hazel, who a uh, former Oklahoma quarterback, uh, offensive line coach, Glenn, uh, Alarby, Ellerby. I'm not really even sure how to say his last name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's been communicating with recruits. Basically, the only reason we know who Tennessee has on the offensive staff so far is because of recruits and who they've been communicating with. And so far, nothing on the defensive side's come out. I don't really get this strategy with the assistants because <clears throat> I, I, you know, it may not matter that much. But I just think. Sort of a, a sooner you get these guys on staff and announce the the better, and and why I say say it might not matter at all is because you can just have these guys on staff, not announce it, and just have them out there recruiting. Like you said, that's sort of one of the only real reasons that we know why anyone uh, is connected to Tennessee right now is because they're doing Tennessee's work um, on the recruiting trail, but. 
it's a, it's an odd strategy to want to lock everything down. I I assume this is an assumption on my part that they're just going to do some mass drop when they hire everybody and be like, here's the staff. And it's just everybody or most of the staff. And that's what they did with Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, it was two months before his staff was officially announced, but we knew who everyone was. Yeah. And here with with Danny White, as we've seen so far, he is all about keeping it locked down, keeping it tight, keeping a tight lip. And there has been nothing. I mean, still, we, we've hit on this just in the last couple of weeks with White White's sort of I guess if you want to call him shenanigans, his strategy, whatever it is, like the most connected local media guys don't know what's going on. Like you're people look to them and the message boards that they curate and, and things like that. And they look and they go, all right, well, what's, what's going on? And these guys are just sort of like, well, here's what we think might be going on, but not really sure. And so, and, and we, we've even had, um, you know, without naming any names at all, tried to reach out to guys and gotten a little bit of something, but then they'll, if, if their name gets connected to the situation at all, they'll ghost you. Yeah. It you know? definitely seems like they're the Tennessee athletic department is directing uh, people that are talking about jobs with Tennessee to just kind of keep things quiet because it definitely seems that way. All of a sudden people just kind of go quiet on you. And that's the really only reason that makes sense is, Tennessee's just really hammering home like that they don't want any leaps of this stuff. And it, like you said, it really doesn't matter. I mean, who cares if you get a a defensive coordinator, you know, hire made and and we know before it's announced. The, the only thing I can think is maybe Tennessee doesn't want the embarrassment of being turned down, which kind of happened this week with the Louisville defensive coordinator, which that was kind of a random name to even be attached to Tennessee. I'm not really sure there's any connection there between him and Heupel. I don't really know much about the job, Brian Brown, I believe. But it, it, it's not like he was some big name. And honestly, if you get turned down by a defensive coordinator these days, it's not that big of a deal. LSU got turned down a couple of times, and they're trying to replace Bo Pelini. The Green Bay Packers got turned down this weekend by the Wisconsin defensive coordinator. It's not a huge deal to get turned down by somebody. For, for you know, Especially at Tennessee with the shape it's in. I think people understand that's a tough gig to sell right now. Yeah, pe- people get it. That's really the only thing that I could think is that they're just trying not to have that image that Tennessee has had so often over the last few years of just it's not a job that somebody wants to come to. And maybe there could be sort of a compounding effect where this news comes out, this guy turned it down, this guy turned it down, this guy turned it down. Then you get to somebody else that you want and they look and they go, well, why did all those guys yeah. turn it down? Uh, and then they don't want the job either. Uh, you know, I, I could see that. But still, people people get it. Word goes around. Uh, if if other coaches have turned it down, the likelihood or the, the likeliest thing is that the coach that you're talking to currently knows that those guys turned it down or at least has heard the rumblings. I mean, everybody talks. And so, hey, whatever. I, I've said I am vehemently for keeping everything close to the vest, and maybe it's really just a, almost a practice session for Danny White to try to drill home how much he's, uh, he's emphasizing this keep-your-mouth-shut sort of mentality. <laughs> um, but 
hey, uh, when, whenever it comes, we'll talk about it. But in the meantime, what happens when you don't have any information like this? You just got to speculate. So, mm-hmm. hey, Zach, let's speculate a little bit <laughs> about where Tennessee uh, is going. Like you said, you kind of heard maybe that the defensive coordinator from Louisville turned Tennessee down. Sure. Why not? Um, other names that we've heard, let's just go through um, some speculation here. A, a name that has been brought to our attention uh, a few times was Matt House, who is he's in a position coach on the defense for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, the linebackers who, coach, I believe. Of course, he would not be uh, freed up until, what, tomorrow? So maybe uh, th- there is something there and they just can't uh, let that cat out of the bag because he's got a job to do, obviously, coaching in the biggest game of the season tonight. But uh, what do you think about that that name? Uh, he's a very interesting choice. I mean, he was the Kentucky defensive coordinator. He did not get fired from Kentucky. He And, you know, Kentucky defenses have been pretty pretty good under, under Mark Stoops the last several years. But he left on his own. He went to the NFL on his own. And I don't know if this was Mark Stoops throwing him under the bus because we know how Mark Stoops kind of likes to make some snide remarks to the media. He did about Tennessee recently with the Pruitt stuff. Um, but he kind of he kind of insinuated that Matt House didn't like the lifestyle of college football. Now, on paper, Matt House was a good recruiter. He landed some solid recruits for Tennessee – I mean, for Kentucky. But the, this – you know, the speculation there was that Stoops was saying that he didn't like the lifestyle. He he kind of hinted that he didn't like recruiting. So that's why he went to the NFL as a position coach. If that's true, you know, why would you kind of want to come back to Tennessee of all places to be the defensive coordinator? Um, you know, is it a money thing or is this just completely speculation and there's really no connection there? It's impossible to know, really, because of the lack of leaps out of the athletic department. But if he truly wanted to be back in the college game, I think he'd be a solid option. He he did. I'm just looking at his time at Kentucky. Obviously, the if that's true that he didn't want to recruit, I do not love that. But as long as there are other guys on the staff that can recruit, fair enough. Just have a guy who can scheme for you, fine. But... Uh, he did take in 20, his first season as Kentucky's defensive coordinator, Kentucky had the 12th best defense in the sec, but then his second season, they shot up to fourth, uh, only behind Mississippi state, Georgia and Alabama. Uh, so that's something he improved Kentucky's defense year over year. Tennessee needs the help incredibly after having a quote unquote, defensive guru as their coach for, for three years uh the defense is not good and so it, it's gonna be a, a project and I, yeah that, that's not in, encouraging to me that he may not like that because uh, because you've just seen that in other guys where it, college football wears you down if you don't have that the metal the the resolve that it takes to work these extremely long hours, essentially, you know, at the expense of your own health and sanity, I, you know, coaching college football just may not be for you. And so, I, I also that, wonder about. I also wonder about the the Matt House Stoops family hypo connection. 
I mean, it's kind of well yep. publicized now that Hypo and Bob Stoops have not spoke since he left Oklahoma after the 2014 season. I don't know. I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of folks that feel like Mike Stoops should have been fired from Oklahoma instead of Hypo after 2014. I, I don't know what the relationship between those families are or how that would factor into this whole deal, but it, it is something that that's kind of you can think about. It is that whole situation in general is, is interesting. Who knows if there's kind of hard feelings of some sort against Mark Stoops. Um, there's so by, many Stoops. I know by, by, if there's hard feelings for Mark Stoops by proxy of Mike and Bob, um, it's too many of them, but uh, who, who knows exactly what happened there. It was obviously an ugly situation that sort of ended up painting Heupel's career uh, in a certain way and kind of making him reevaluate everything. At least that's what he says. That's what Heupel says. Um, well, what he's kind of, of wake-up call. hinted at, he doesn't ever really, he's never really publicly slammed Bob Stoops. And Bob Stoops, no. Bob Stoops has spoken highly of Heupel, said it was the worst day of his coaching career firing Heupel. So it's just a strange situation all around. Yeah. Well, e- either way, that that's one name. That's been thrown out. And then uh, we have Zach Arnett at Mississippi State, who we've mentioned on this show. And, uh, Zach, I know you've been just kind of trying to see what the deal is with him. Do you think there's anything there? I think he's the best fit to be Tennessee's defensive coordinator because he's worked for Mike Leach. He likes working for Mike Leach. I think that's one issue that you'll have – trying to find a defensive coordinator is finding somebody who meshes well with Heifel's offense because it can put a lot of strain on the defense. So there's got to be somebody that's willing to kind of play a certain style of defense where maybe you're a little bit more aggressive. Maybe you're willing to give up a big play here and there uh, because you're trying to get a takeaway and get your defense off the field. Arnett kind of fits that style of play. I don't think it's going to happen, though, from what I've heard from people close to Mississippi State is that they just they just don't see it happening. They don't see him wanting to leave for Tennessee. It doesn't really seem like he's a factor in this search. Yeah, that that is one that has seemed like speculation and kind of hopefulness more than anything, all that solid. Uh, and then it, we can throw in just uh, another name here, John Jancic. There's been a lot of people that have brought this guy up. Obviously, he was a DC under Butch. Then he went uh, after Butch. Well, he he left. He was the DC under Mike Bobo at Colorado State. Um, and then this his his trajectory, Jancic's trajectory, was interesting to me because I remember when he left Butch, he went to go be a position coach, I believe, right for the Bucks, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And people were sort of like. Huh. I wonder why he seemingly kind of took a step back just to go to the NFL. Then he hops back into college to be a DC for Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo gets fired, and now Jancic is a, a quality control guy um, or at uh, Georgia with with Kirby. So his his whole deal of like choosing seemingly to leave Tennessee and. Uh, whatever happened there was interesting. Do, do you think there's a possibility he comes back, Zach? Um, I, I think it's possible. I don't know if it'll be as the defensive coordinator or a position coach. Nobody really knows right now. 
I, th- I think he does want to return to Tennessee. I think he likes Knoxville. I mean, he's had kids kids at Tennessee that were, were there after he left. Um, like a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches. I mean, you saw it with Jim Chaney. A lot of people come to Knoxville, they love it. You know, they want to return. That's why you see kind of these guys that have coached there before come back. Derek Ansley being another one. That's not surprising at all that, that Jansen would like to return to Tennessee. He did a great job with Butch. I mean, he's probably – I've said this on Twitter a lot this week. I think he's the best defensive coordinator Tennessee's had in the last 10 years. I mean, really, who else do you put up there? Justin Wilcox maybe is is the only other guy that, that's that's had the success like Jancic had. I mean, he, uh, Tennessee had a top 20 defense in 2015. I think if Jancic is still the, the guy in 2016, uh, Tennessee probably wins the SEC East because they don't collapse the way they did. And with that said, I mean, in 2016, we thought Tennessee was upgrading when they hired Bob Shoup. Uh, and and they maybe they did. Shoup has been fine before Butch and after Butch. He just, uh, he, you know, co- that's where coaches kind of go to die is on a Butch Jones staff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people would feel underwhelmed by that hire just because he's been at Tennessee before and he's not really the hot name. You know, like you said, he's an, he's an off field coach at Georgia right now. It doesn't seem like he's an in demand guy, but I think he's a good fit. He, he runs a, a simplified defense that doesn't require a lot of confusing terms. And we kind of saw Tennessee's, you know, they had, they had some talented guys when he was there uh, before with, Derek Barnett and Jalen Reeves Maven and Cam Sutton and those guys played really well and and those guys weren't I mean they were decently rated players but they weren't the five-star stud guys that were supposed to come in and do what they did there just needs to be some and this is so kind of amorphous and we've said it so often there's just somebody and this is true of every single person on this entire staff you got to have somebody that is willing to take on the project and dig in and really give it the, the best go possible. That's why I almost, and this might be just me talking myself into a lesser hire for DC, <laughs> but I almost go, maybe don't go with a big name. Maybe go with a hungry guy. Like I found that this was something that happened in in my life recently. My my wife and I d- dabble in real estate, so to speak. <laughs> I, I guess without getting too specific, and we had a real estate agent who was super established, super successful, and we were like, "Oh yeah, work with her." But she, you know, we were doing smaller deals because I'm not rich, and. She just was kind of hard to get in contact with and just, you know, kind of had bigger things going on. And then we looked at getting to a, uh, a up-and-coming real estate agent of sorts. That dude is hungry, wanted it bad, was ready to be on the phone at all times of the day and night, and it didn't matter because he was trying to make those deals because he's getting his, his feet underneath him. And you just have a different, you know, with somebody who hasn't made it yet, who who doesn't have that that kind of history or confidence in themselves quite yet you get that that hunger and that fire that can end up driving somebody to do really great things 
and this Tennessee project is so, I mean, what is the right word? All encompassing, uh, a total, total mess. You gotta have somebody with that fire, that energy, that, that readiness to take on this nonsense that maybe genuinely, maybe somebody who hasn't totally made it yet is, is the better hire. Not that I think that there are even guys that have a great resume that are lining up to be the coach of Tennessee, but maybe some sort of no name who is super hungry could be better. I mean, that's, that's usually how it goes though. Right. I mean, we were talking about Zach Arnett when Mississippi state hired him. I mean, I didn't, I never heard of Zach Arnett I mean, from new San Diego state, new Mexico guy. He's not somebody that if Tennessee would have hired him last year to be a defensive coordinator, everybody, everybody, who's this guy? You know, who, who are they hiring? You got to kind of find that guy, and you can only really get a feel for that in interviews and, and kind of talking to the guys. It's the stuff that you can't find out on a Wikipedia page trying to see where they've coached that and stuff. It's the stuff that you don't see, the conversations you don't hear. Now, I do think that this Tennessee defensive coordinator job is it's a tall task, because of the shape of the program, kind of the depth, the depth hit that Tennessee's taken, where they've they've lost some players to the portal. They'll, they'll likely be playing short the next couple of years. But whoever takes this job, it, it's their defense. They're going to have autonomy. They're going to get to do what they want to do. No meddling. That's that's the one side of this job that I think could be attractive. And Tennessee has some money to pay somebody too. I mean, they saved a little money hiring Heupel. We know. You know, they kind of wanted to spend, willing to spend around $7 million, maybe $8 million for a head coach. They, they've got the money there to pay somebody. Now, obviously, you're not going to pay a up-and-comer crazy money to do it. But, you know, you could find the right guy. Maybe that, maybe Matt House ends up being that guy that, that wants to take the job. Um, Jerry Montgomery, the Packers defensive line coach, is another guy that I think could be in play here. He coached with... Uh, Heupel at Oklahoma. He was going to be a co-defensive coordinator there before he left for the NFL. Good recruiter. You know, he's never really been a coordinator before, but maybe he's that young, hungry guy that wants to do it. I'm just saying. You know, again, maybe I'm just talking myself into a lesser hire because that's what you got to do. Yeah, you kind of have to at this point. But maybe that is the move. And and I just, you know, Tennessee fans need hope and and just give us somebody who can who will really put their their white weight behind this whole thing and devote themselves to Tennessee. Cause it was disheartening to say the least when it was kind of clear. And I got pushback for saying this. I stand by it, and I absolutely think it was the case. Jeremy Pruitt did not want to be at Tennessee. It was a job. And he did it for four and a half million bucks. And he was, you know, he acted professionally. But he didn't truly want to be at Tennessee. And it was just kind of disheartening at times to to think that and not really have proof to the contrary. And so I I just really want to see that. And and this this was one of the things we really wanted to cover on this beyond speculating on defensive coordinator candidates so There's far Zach one oh, thing one thing yeah, that yeah, we yeah. have to throw in about the defensive coordinator thing sure. because I, I know that somebody out there is saying this right now what about Kevin Steele 
don't really think he's a fit for Heupel. And I think we've, the fact that he's not the guy after two weeks kind of tells you that he's not going to be the guy. Tennessee's not going to fire him until they have to. And Kevin Stills not going to leave Tennessee until he has to. So they're kind of playing chicken with each other at this point. Like who's going to give first because there's a lot of money on the line there. Yeah. The, oh, we didn't even mention that yet. That's an entire messy situation. I kind of went into it last week. It's a kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of thing where you have, if you keep him, there might be resentment there that Hypel feels like he was forced to keep him. But if you fire him, you have to give a guy that did literally nothing for you, $900,000. It's dumb. They've already got a mess on their hands with the T. Martin situation, which was finally kind of resolved this week. He's going to be a wide receivers coach at the Baltimore Ravens. But this is all on Philip Fomer, and we've talked about this before, but he created this mess with Kevin Steele by bringing him in and and kind of promising T. Martin a deal in the middle of an investigation when you pretty much know you're going to fire your head coach. I don't know why you would do that. I, I don't think T. Martin's going to get any money out of that. Uh, we don't really know how that was resolved, but there was nothing signed. It was kind of just a verbal promise, maybe over text or something. But it, it it made for a messy situation where T was still on staff, but he wasn't even in the office. And there's tweets from former players, and it, you hate to see any of that because regardless of T Martin as a coach, he's a he's a you know great ambassador for Tennessee, no matter what. And you hope that that relationship isn't strained because of what happened. And, and I kind of wanted to wrap the the talking points about T there up into this other conversation where I was kind of leading leading into, you know, it never seemed like Pruitt wanted to be at Tennessee. So through two weeks, are we getting the feeling that Heupel does want to be here? But I'll, I'll bring in that, that T point because I saw some people say they're very, you know, obviously very disappointed in how all that went down and that maybe Heupel didn't want to keep a Tennessee guy. Um, I don't know that that was up to Heupel almost at all. Um, I don't want to make any, any assumptions at all. Uh, but you, you could speculate that T jumping to the NFL and not to another college job could mean, could could mean I am not saying that this is the case. It could mean that he was involved in the cheating stuff here at Tennessee. Potentially could mean that is a something I'm extrapolating from him going to work uh, for the Ravens. But I I don't I'll, I'll say as far as Hypo buying in with, with Tennessee, I don't put anything on him with that T situation. That's a mess all in itself. It's another thing where it just looks like, you know, Tennessee is going to have a little bit of a falling out with one of the legends of its school yet again because of dumb things that they did. And it's just, I mean, it's just another example of just this stuff that Tennessee has done over and over and over and over and over again at this point that just, it didn't have to be that way. It just didn't. And and it sucks because my my entire take last week on the T Martin situation was just don't get estranged from one of your legends, don't do that. And I, do, you know, hopefully there aren't as many hard feelings as it seems like some people are saying there are. Uh, but 
you know, it just it's another one of those things where Tennessee could have saved itself uh, the the heartache there. But yeah, it's unfortunate know. because he took a job in the NFL. If none of this stuff comes out about the deal and all that, the promises that were made, it just looks like T. Martin left Tennessee for a job in the NFL as a position coach, which is a a step up. Yeah. And nobody would have thought twice about that. I mean, who who doesn't make that move? It's not it's not like he was going to Alabama like Jay Graham did, which I also understand that situation because Graham was looking out for his future, his family. Uh, he he kind of took that job before Hypo was even hired. It wasn't announced until after, but he already had that deal in place. And on Hypo's end, moving on from Graham and T. Martin and the rest of the staff, it is smart because. You know, we don't know, like you kind of mentioned on T. Martin's end, maybe that's why he went to the NFL. Maybe he was wrapped up in something. Again, we have zero evidence of that. But from Tennessee's standpoint, do you want to take a chance on one of those guys, something comes out a year down the road, and then you have to deal with it? Jay Graham's already had a show calls at Texas A&M. Martin's never had any recruiting issues, but you just don't know how things can get connected or, or – Maybe Martin sent a text or something. You, you know, anything could pop up that becomes an issue down the road. A clean break in this situation is the best thing to do. It just could have been done better. As always, as all things are in Tennessee, we could have done that so much better. We should have. Uh, but just, man, T, don't, don't leave us. You're one of the greats. Uh, and, I mean, if... I would be absolutely lying if I said Jay Graham tweeting out earlier this Ooh. week a picture of himself in an Alabama shirt. I would be lying if I said that didn't make me physically ill. Just no. Jay Graham at South Carolina, not a big deal. Jay no. Graham leaving Tennessee for Florida State seemed like a big deal at the time because he had agreed to stay on staff. Now, in retrospect, we know why he left because of Butch Jones. Uh, it made total sense. Even Jay Graham at Texas A&M wasn't that big of a deal for me. But Alabama, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, any of those, that, that's, it, that's tough. It particularly hurts because Alabama has the best running back room in America. Mm. And they are hiring Jay Graham because he was the best coach on Tennessee's staff. And he's not even going to be the running backs coach. Yeah, that's true. Another former Tennessee coach is going to be the running backs coach. Yeah. Robert Gillespie. <sighs> Jeez. But there, I mean, Jay was the best coach on that staff. Everybody mm -hmm. in the SEC saw it with their own two. I, you know, why was the running back position the best position Tennessee has? Because Jay Graham's a good coach, you know? And so. And he's uh, a loyal guy, too. And. I could Makes see him sick, sticking man. there for a long time, which is which is what's even tougher about this. It's, it's gross, but we could <laughs> we could moan all day about the crap that Tennessee has done that makes us sick. But let's talk. Uh, moving on, as as I said, I, I'm not putting any of that stuff on on hypo. The whole situation with Jeremy Pruitt was so gross, and I think Tennessee just needs to separate itself from all of that but they need to do it in the most delicate way possible if they can please um and so i i don't put any of that on hypo but this discussion quickly 
about uh, Heibel being quote unquote bought in. Can can we tell at all so far about sort of how he might be with embracing uh, Tennessee, so to speak? I think just the fact he took the job tells me that he's somewhat bought in because he knew the ins and outs of this program decently when he took this job. He had talked to Joe Osevet and T. Martin when he was at UCF. So he knew what was going on. He knew the situation. He knew why they were looking to get out of Tennessee possibly and and step out of a Power 5 conference. And then his athletic director, you know, was taking the job a week before. So, you know, they've had deep conversations. And Heupel said he asked some tough questions in the interview process about what all went on, about the state of the program. He knew exactly what he was stepping into. Taking this job right now, could absolutely be career suicide. Heupel could have went other places. He could have stayed at UCF. It's not like he was in a situation where Jeremy Pruitt was uh, in late 2017 where he's looking to get paid, get a head coaching job. Jeremy Pruitt would have took a job at South Carolina, wherever, hired. It's not because it was like Tennessee. Like I can, you know, the power T. Jeremy Pruitt never really cared about that aspect of Tennessee. And I get it. I mean, he's an Alabama guy, grew up in Alabama, coached most of his career at Alabama. Alabama is where he wants to be. He ignored a lot of in-state recruits to go get guys out of Alabama. I mean, that's who Pruitt is, and we shouldn't expect any less. It always felt forced with Pruitt anytime he was talking about running through the T or the Vol Walk or any of this stuff. It never really felt like he was all in on that stuff as much as we tried to kind of force it on him. I, and I don't want to force it on Heupel. It has, that's the thing with all of this. It has to be from within for these coaches to want to take on this mess. Everything you said there, I'm certain Heupel knows that this could end him, essentially. I mean, the guys that leave Tennessee... They leave in an absolute, I guess, would you say blaze of glory? It's not a blaze of glory, a, a, a blaze of shame, really. I, I mean, Butch got sent back to the Dark Ages. He was an intern for Saban. I mean, a coffee boy for Nick Saban. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is gonzo. I mean, he's his bridges are burned. Yeah, he's meant um, to be an off-field assistant with the Giants, and only oh. because of his Nick Saban connection to to Joe Judge. There, I mean, it's bad. Derek Dooley was the same way. Went to be a position coach with the Cowboys. Yep, he's got a famous last name. It kind of helped him out a little bit. It took him what five, six years to resurface in the SEC as a as an offensive coordinator, which was a bizarre move by Missouri, ironically, to replace Heupel, but. Yeah, you don't you don't leave you don't take this job and fall up. Uh, not since Lane Kiffin have we seen somebody do that. It it really does almost not really end careers, but it puts them on pause for quite a while after you leave Tennessee. Yeah, it can ruin you, and Heupel knows this. So yes, I I agree. There there has to be something there for him to be willing. To leave, maybe it's the fact that his his boss is going to be a, a guy that he knows and has known for a while, um, and so 
I think it helps that he does not have, uh, unlike Dooley, who kind of had this connection to Georgia, and Pruitt, who had this connection to Alabama. You know, Heupel doesn't, you know, he has the Oklahoma connection, but he doesn't have any other SEC connection where that kind of looms over him. I mean, he can kind of start fresh in the SEC as this all-in at Tennessee type guy. And so far, it's kind of felt like he has. It's only been two weeks, but it, it kind of feels organic. I haven't really been, like, seen anything from him that feels forced. Yeah, you see the picture of him with Smokey, kind of a, a, a joking tweet. Um, the dodgeball stuff that he played with the team this week. You saw players sharing those tweets kind of organically. It really feels like he's kind of meshing just seamlessly. It doesn't It doesn't feel forced yet. And I'm not – I don't want to look too deep into it. I don't want to say, oh, my God, this guy is – he's all in at Tennessee. He gets it. I, I don't want to ever say the words hypo gets it because I've said that about every other coach and it failed miserably. But it does fit – I don't know. It just feels natural so far, so far. But I'm not – I mean, I'm skeptical because I'm a skeptic by nature, but I think he's fitting in well so far. So far, he's he's hit me as a – in terms of his public persona and perception, he's hit me as a decent mix of the – the butch marketing stuff, which I, you know, you don't want to overdo that. Obviously, butch always overdid it, and he came off as a total phony. And I'm in no way am I saying Heupel's a phony, but I'm saying he plays the game. He plays the marketing game, which is good. You have to do that to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But then he does seem to also have the Pruitt genuineness. I mean, I I never thought Pruitt was a phony. I I think he he was just a guy that just wants to coach football. He didn't want to do the whole head coach thing, and he definitely didn't want to do it at Tennessee. And I I get Heupel's sort of just yeah that genuineness and his his projection of being a a likable guy. It seems like he is. He's not the the best spoken person, or he's not the most eloquent guy. On planet Earth, I don't think he needs to be. But if you can connect with your players, connect with the program and the fans, and create a nice balance there, you're going to get a lot more grace from the fans too. I mean, I think I think Pruitt got more grace because he wasn't like Butch. I mean, when things went sour with Butch, people mm-hmm. were like, "Get this phony idiot out of here!" Until the bitter, bitter end, there were Tennessee fans bowing down at Pruitt's feet, going, he needs more time, he needs more time, he needs more time for a three-win guy. And I think, I don't want to put it all on this, but I think it's because they saw and they they said, you know, he he doesn't come off like this phony loser that we had before. I think maybe he, he can get it done if he really puts his mind to it or whatever they were thinking. I think there's something there that that can win you points, make your leash a little bit longer. Uh, with the fan base, obviously he knows his boss. I don't think he has to do a lot of work there. But uh, the it, I I've I've liked it so far. We're taking away a lot from two weeks where not a whole lot has happened. Um, but I I think he's doing fine. He's doing fine so far. Yeah, he he kind of needs to find that happy medium between Butch and Pruitt. Uh, Butch was way over the top. He tried to be something he wasn't. He also tried to force some some of his own ideas on the Tennessee things that just weren't natural to Tennessee some of the 
some of the stuff he did in the stadium. I mean, it was a completely different feel uh, with Tennessee back then when he was the head coach. Pruitt Pruitt didn't completely ignore Tennessee traditions or anything. I mean, he he made a big deal about the game maxims. He, you know, he he incorporated that stuff, but. You're the head coach at Tennessee. You can't show up at events without a power tee on. You can't show up without a stitch of orange on like he did at times. You can't do that. He also never really felt like he was a part of the community in a way that college head coaches are. Like I don't did, did he do regular hits like on Knoxville radio shows, like a weekly deal or anything? I don't feel like I remember him doing much of that. Well, vol calls. Well, yeah, but that's kind of that part of his job. I mean, yeah, that's like in the contract. No, I mean, I no, I don't think. And, and I think that's important. I mean, even Butch Jones did that. He did it with Nashville radio stations. He did it with some Knoxville stations. And you see a lot of coaches do that. I see, I see stuff from Ed Ogeron pop up in my timeline all the time. That dude talks to the media constantly down there in Baton Rouge on radio stations. You kind of. You have to do that. The The fans in Knoxville need to hear your voice. They need to hear you in February and January when there's not a lot going on. You need to be a part of that community in that way. Uh, Pruitt didn't speak to the media at all. And I know there was investigation going on, but he, I don't know, he only spoke when he had to speak. He, he didn't really lend himself to the community the way I felt he should have. He never wanted to be the head coach. He just wanted to be a coach. And I think he wanted that paycheck, too. I mean, well, we, yeah. we were talking about it before the show. Um, his house just went up for sale in Knoxville. It was a extravagant house. I mean, was it? Real a, nice. Close to $4 million house, $3.5 million house. Th- that's two things there. One, yeah, he's living the lifestyle. You know, he I, he, he might not have had the watches like Butch, but he's, he's enjoying the lifestyle. Two, he ain't been fired, but for three, four weeks, and he's gone already. I mean, Butch stuck around for, what, the whole time, pretty much. His kids were in school mm-hmm. in Knoxville while he's in Tuscaloosa. I mean, even Butch felt like he embraced Knoxville more than Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, I even saw, like, just thinking about some fired coaches in Tennessee. Like, I saw Dave Serrano in Knoxville. I think, like, early last year? Maybe a little bit before early last year? Like, the end of 2019? Like, he was still... Around because, yeah, I think he had kids in Knoxville. Like, it just happens. And Pruitt is like, I am out of here. Yep. See you later and bye. Uh, I mean, he never wanted to be here. He never wanted to be here. And it sucks that Tennessee brought in a a guy like that and, and Fulmer let him drive things into the ground. Whatever. We talked about that enough. But it's so far, I think Hypel is giving off a good impression. I think a big thing that will turn. Uh, opinion in his favor will be getting Ty Simpson, which uh, I believe he he'll be announcing the the nineteenth or something. Yeah, he's, he's, let's see. Yeah, February nineteenth. And I think um, his dad, who is the uh, the head coach at UT Martin, was on a radio show sometime this week, and he said he has no idea what Simpson's doing. Now, I'm sure that's a little bit of posturing there. I mean, you gotta have some sort of idea, but he claims that even Simpson doesn't know what he's doing on February nineteenth, and. I mean, my whole theory is that this February 19th date was set for him by Dabo at Clemson because Dabo likes to force guys to commit, likes to set a deadline. I mean, it's just, he's very pushy when it comes to recruiting. And 
say what you will, it works for him. Clemson rarely has kids decommit. Uh, I, I don't like it, but, I mean, he's straight up with them, and he commits to them. I mean, if you commit to Clemson on that deadline, he's not going to drop you. Um, he'll, he's taking you no matter what. It, it's a two-way street. Kids know it going in, so like it or not, it is what it is. I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I mean, I don't know if you if you believe his dad and, and he's really up in the air about it. I, I don't think the February 19th date works in Tennessee's favor at all, not when you've just hired a head coach. Uh, I get the, I, I I get the feeling with – this is some real uh, battered vol syndrome stuff. I get the feeling with Ty Simpson, he he's going to be Josh Heupel's Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Where we go, oh, boy. What we could have done if he would have just come to Tennessee, you know, like a hype will win like eight games in year three. Clemson will win a national title with Ty Simpson and we'll be like, ah, he was right there in state and he could have been here. But Jeremy Pruitt, you know, I, I just get the feeling that that's he he's set up to be that guy. For, yeah, for I, mean, I, I do not have much confidence in him ending up at Tennessee. Maybe he does. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I don't I don't know why I should feel any other way at this point. There's really no reason to have optimism about it. It would be a big, 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 big get. Um, and I think would create legitimate excitement rolling in in his direction, in Hypel's direction. So but uh that's in any final thoughts there before we, we finish the show a little basketball talk. I, I'm I'm interested to see just kind of how Heupel handles you know spring practice. That that's what I'm most looking forward to now. Hearing hearing him talk to the media several times a week, uh, kind of how they organize spring practice and just getting the mood of the team. I mean, so far it seems like a positive feeling. Uh, it seems like the team is really kind of slowly buying in the Heupel. It's going to take some time, but it seems like the the early signs are good. They usually are when you have a new head coach, though. I mean, it's a change, and there's a lot of positivity around the program because you think things are going the right direction. So you don't want to read too much into that, but it's better than things starting off on the wrong foot, which you know is certainly possible, too. Definitely. I I feel fine about him so far. Let's see what he can do through that's spring the ball. Best, yes, that's the best word, fine. I feel fine about yeah. it. Yeah. It's fine. You know, we'll see. Nothing's gone off the rails yet. Right. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Uh, Something else that hasn't gone off the rails at Tennessee. Um, Although there's been uh, some some not encouraging things that have happened. uh, But Tennessee basketball, obviously last night, was extremely encouraging. You go into Rupp Arena and Rick Barnes and the boys uh, down the stretch, and basically in the final 10 minutes of that game, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, the youngins, just took over. And it was so exciting to see that. I mean, they are, they are without a doubt, the most exciting freshmen I have ever seen play for the University of Tennessee. I mean, Tobias Harris, a lot of fun. Uh, Jarnell Stokes, a lot of fun. These guys bring the heat, though, specifically as a combo. They were unstoppable last night when they got ahead of steam and and they were they were turning around transition points i mean they would get a rebound 
on one end, and two seconds later, they were down at the other end of the court uh, and and either dunking the ball, going towards the rack, and, and trying to score. I loved it. The only problem, as I mentioned, it hasn't been just a, a beautiful golden road for Tennessee so far. Rick has not been letting these guys cook like this all season. Why are we just now seeing it? That was my question last night. Amazing win. I could not be happier. Why are we just now seeing this? Uh, but I hope yeah, we see it going forward. For sure. I mean, we've kind of talked about how this team needs a go-to guy, like how it, how that felt like they were lacking just that go-to guy when, you, when you've got a store. And last night, Tennessee was in that situation. They were down by, what, 10 or something pretty – it was a significant gap there. and then, Yes, they got down by 10 at, at one point. I believe that was the biggest deficit. Yep. Yeah, and Springer and Johnson turned it on. They scored 23 of the last 27 points. I mean, that that's your go-to duo right there. I mean, that's what you, you need, and you, you can't shy away from that moving forward. I mean, that's how you're going to win games when you get kind of into tournament time, and that's, that's kind of what you hope was going to happen with this team <clears throat> is that somebody was going to step up in this way because you cannot – make a tournament run without having a go-to guy, go-to players. Uh, especially, you know, last night Fulkerson was was a non-factor. Uh, he, you didn't have that to kind of rely on. It was encouraging based on what had happened over the last week uh, with that tough loss to Ole Miss, a game that they absolutely should not have lost. I mean, that, that, was, that was a tough one because – there's a lot of frustration after that game. Uh, I, I didn't feel very optimistic about this Kentucky game, even though Kentucky's not not that great this year. But that Ole Miss game felt like it things could have spiraled after that game. That felt like a a turning point of sorts, good or bad, as as you're saying. So Rick has kind of a history of he he runs his teams ragged in the regular season and they tend to have good regular season i mean he at can or sorry at kentucky at texas he made the ncaa tournament i believe every single year that he was there um and or maybe missed it like once in all of his time at texas i mean he has good regular seasons and then they peter out when it comes to the tournament if i'm giving rick the full benefit of the doubt here I could say that maybe he's playing it more conservative this season to try to set up for March because Tennessee has been playing this sort of slow, plodding, methodical, uh, obviously defensive-heavy style of basketball. But specifically when they get on on the offensive end, they just they run these sets. It's very slow developing. They tend to run the shot clock down, and that's a strategy on Rick Barnes's part as a specific thing he is telling them to do. They're not just going out there and doing that. And last night, when they got out and ran, I, I mean, I I just said, I, you know, I, I kind of thought up to this point in the season, I was just like, oh, maybe they're just, you know, Rick sees them in practice. I don't see them in practice, things like that. Maybe they're just not capable of really playing that style of basketball. And last night, it couldn't be more clear that specifically with, with Jaden and Keon in the game, they're made for that type of basketball. Now, again, it does. It's a ton of sprinting and running and fast basketball, and it can get out of control. 
and and too much of it can bite you in the butt in the same way that you know going the other direction way too far can can bite you but that was some basketball that I've wanted to see all season. And I just wasn't sure if this team was capable of playing it. And all of a sudden here it is. Not only is it working. I mean, it's probably the best basketball Tennessee has played all season long in the final 10 minutes of that game. I mean, they just, they crushed Kentucky. They were playing excellent defense. And then that was turning into transition points from two of the most encouraging talents that you have on the team. And I, (laughs) I mean, it was just to, to me, it was exactly what I wanted to see from this team all season long. I would ask Rick, just let these guys cook for the rest of the year. Just let them take over. Let them be these guys. Like, look at them. I mean, that was incredible. And clearly this sort of slow, methodical nonsense is just, it's a drag on the offensive end. And may, maybe this is the real turning point where we just see, you know, down the stretch where it's just all all freshmen all the time. I think something you mentioned that we, that we can't really overlook, you're talking about the defense in the last 10 minutes, is uh, Josiah Jordan-James really mm. shut down mm. Keon Brooks in the last 10 minutes of that game last night, and that was huge too. Yeah, we I mean, we forget that they're from that game last night that there are other guys on this team. That's true. Keon Brooks was destroying Tennessee. He had a double-double at like halftime. And he was just taking it to us. And and Triple J went in and really shut him down. I mean, that you don't have that run. You're not able to create transition points like Tennessee did last night without a efficient offense. It was just all of that in that final 10 minutes of last night's game was what we always saw specifically when Jordan Bone really came into his own with Grant and Admiral. And they could just, they would play lockdown defense and turn right around and score quickly on the other end and create these transition points. And they would, it was always so fun with those guys because bone was so quick and his, you know, his head ran a million miles a minute and he could think through who to pass to where to go and was so good at it. I mean, Tennessee could bury you in a two minute stretch with that team where they, they force a couple of turnovers and they score on the other end. And suddenly Tennessee's up by 12 and you don't even know what hit you. Uh, and that's what happened to Kentucky last night. I mean, it, it really was. <laughs> I tweeted. <laughs> I tweeted. Um, it, it was that that gif of of Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec where he goes, what the hell just happened? Like, that's how I felt. Like It was like, oh, we were down 10. Now we're up 10. What what just happened? What is this? Um, and so I, I loved the fact that this whole new layer of Tennessee basketball was sort of unveiled last night. And I hope they take advantage of it because there's no better time than now. I believe, what, nine, eight, nine games left in the regular season. Then you're moving into March. Let's take it into March. and Let's win the SEC tournament. Let's win the NCAA tournament. Because it's, it's all there for this team when they can put all the pieces together. I still believe that even, even if I'm getting, a, I've gotten a little more downtrodden as the season's gone along about their overall prospects. I, it's still, it's all there when they're playing their best and just play, just play, you know, let them play, Rick. It doesn't need to be your way or the highway all the time. Just let them play. I'll ask you this. Do you think uh, Tennessee basketball is at a point now where the best lineup is with Vescovi, Springer, Keon Johnson, James, and Pons out there and Fulkerson is kind of a six-man type? Do you think that's based on last night? 
it depends on the team you're playing. If you're playing a team that doesn't have, I mean, Kentucky has, they had a seven footer, but it, it depends on the team you're playing. Cause asking Eve to be the sole rim protector. Eh, I, I don't know. I mean that he has freakish athletic ability. And his his defense is obviously unbelievable. Defensive player of the year in the SEC last year. We all know. But asking him to be your sole rim protector is a little risky, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in my opinion. But of course, I mean, Ful- Fulkerson's not that much taller, and he's less athletic. So, I, you know, Fulkerson, for whatever reason, if it's a lingering injury, if he's just having an off year, whatever it is, he's faded this season pretty, pretty massively. And... Rick needs to adapt, whatever it is. If that's the best lineup, put him out there. It was easily the best lineup last night. It wasn't even close. Um, and just let it let it organically happen. Whatever it is, let the team decide. Don't try to force, because that's what it's felt like this season with Rick. Because he's a guy that he, he believes in his way of doing things, for sure. And he should. It's gotten results. He should. But don't, don't force a square peg into a round hole when, when you can just... Let these guys go out there in that guard-heavy lineup with an absolute freak in Eve Pons out there to play to play your best defense for you, and and just really uh, let the team take you where it needs to go rather than kind of forcing the style play on them. That that's all I I want to see down the stretch. The, the, and there has even been Tennessee was set to play Florida on Wednesday. Florida is apparently. Uh, having some some COVID stuff going on, and that has now been switched to Georgia um, on Wednesday in Thompson Bowling Arena. I don't think Georgia, like what is even Georgia doing this season? I haven't heard a thing about them. Let's check the SEC. That should that should be the answer. <laughs> there, yeah, there. I let's see Georgia five and six in conference, twelve and six overall. So they've lost every single game uh, that they've lost in SEC play. They beat Cincinnati, who Tennessee beat. Otherwise, a bunch of snoozers and non-con, absolute nobodies that they beat. They lost to Mississippi State, lost to LSU, lost to Arkansas, lost to Auburn. They did beat Kentucky last week. Well, uh, not is that, that that's, really? Yeah. <laughs> not that that's all that impressive. Uh, you know, it's come prepared. I, I would say that, uh, but Georgia is definitely in the latter half of the league. Uh, I'll put it that way. <laughs> You're talking about Kentucky. What's up? Uh, I will say real quick on that Georgia game is you can't you can't just walk in there though and and look at them as a winless you know a, a struggling team otherwise we know it'll be the old Miss game all over again. Don't do it. Yep. But Kentucky, it's some of the tweets last night from Kentucky fans. Who would have ever thought their 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 retort is well we smoked y'all in football. I mean who. <laughs> What what world is this where Tennessee's dominating Kentucky in basketball and and they're they're bringing up football? I saw Matt Jones last night, yeah. Kentucky Sports Radio, Matt Jones, and he was beside himself. Of course. Um as he should be. Kentucky basketball is terrible. He said Tennessee has now won three of their last four games in Rupp Arena. And six of the last nine overall against Kentucky, one of those including the semifinals of the SEC basketball tournament, which is one of the greatest games I've ever been in attendance for, was privileged enough to be sitting courtside for that beauty. Um, Rick has Calipari's number, and 
I love it. I I've said it before on this show, whole side of my family. My dad's from Kentucky. He's a Louisville fan. Uh, but a whole side of my family is Kentucky fans. Like other relatives of his are all Kentucky fans. I love that Tennessee is just giving them the business right now. And cause K- Kentucky fans can cry through gritted teeth. Did we beat you? We beat you in football. <laughs> it's nothing. They don't care about football. Kentucky fans don't care about football. Don't let them f- try to fool you. They don't care about football. They only care about basketball. That's their, the, that entire state only cares about basketball. Half the people in that state have never seen a football in real life. Okay. <laughs> it's, they only care about basketball. And so it's, I'm taking a lot of joy in it. I can't lie. I think Calipari's, he's gone after this year. And it's, he's not fired. They can't fire him. He has like some absurd, <laughs> unbelievable buyout, lifetime contract nonsense. Uh, he will leave for the NBA. I think his time his time is up. He's not. He never has been a great uh, tactician. He has been good at recruiting guys and going and just letting them play basketball, um, which worked for him once. He won one national title with one of the greatest, most transcendent players I've ever seen in Anthony Davis. And you know, good for him. But it's not working. And I. Oh, I'm just laughing. I we we are laughing. Uh, I I'm enjoying it so much. The no offense to Kentucky fans, I have some friends who are obviously, and I have family members who are Kentucky fans. Uh, my a, a guy who I would consider a good friend, who is also my brother-in-law, is a huge Kentucky fan. Uh, I'm reveling in his pain as much as I love him. Sorry, Jordan. I I'm laughing all the way to the bank right now. So that's that. That's Tennessee for you. Um, we thought we weren't going to have that much to talk about, and we went for an hour five. So good stuff. Zach Tennessee Reagan. always provides content. They never, they never let you down. Even it in never the fails. May, there will be something. <laughs> Just let it be something Positive. not terrible and yeah. ruinous to the program. I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. The A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. Seriously, seriously, seriously. Thank you so much to everybody that listens. means the world. Uh, at Charlie underscore Burris. At Zach TNT. At A to Z Sports. A to Z Sports Nashville.com. The A to Z Sports uh, Nashville Podcast Network feed on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud, uh, if that's your thing. Um, find us there every Monday morning. Otherwise, that's it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.